Uh, Jerusalem is one of the themes that the Bible um, reminds us of and points us toward as we're anticipating our heavenly city. And it's a beautiful image. If you remember the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, there is a river flowing, uh, feeding people, giving people drink. And anyone who is thirsty is called to come and to drink of that that river. And uh, we are still, as Christians, pilgrims going toward that heavenly city. We're not there yet, but we are anticipating finally getting into and um, resting in the presence of our holy God. Well, I'll invite you. uh, God's word comes to us from the book of Exodus. And thank you, uh, Bruce, you chose all the hymns uh, in the service. Thank you so much for the the themes that you drew out, um, speaking about God's glory and about God's presence. Turn to Exodus chapter 33. The sermon will be verses 1 to 6 and then verses 12 to 21. Uh, I won't read verses 7 to 11, but I'll refer to them just for the sake of time. And this is God's holy word, Exodus 33, verses 1 to 6 and then 12 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people who you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now, now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. In verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he that is Moses said to him, the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be, how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So we are distinct, and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you've spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand. And you will see my back, but my face you shall not, my face shall not be seen. 
It's the reading of God's word. Let's uh, ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, you do preserve us and protect us. You have patiently, Lord, gone with us all throughout our lives. And you set us on a course for heaven, as we just sang. Lord, we want to see your glory, just like Moses asks here. And Lord, we ask that in the face of Jesus, you would show us most clearly the beauty of your presence. And Holy Spirit, if you don't come now and open up our hearts, Lord, all of this work is not of any benefit. So please, Holy Spirit, would you anoint us to hear and to respond to your word appropriately. We pray it in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. It's uh, a great privilege to get to open God's word with you. I met um, one of your church members, Rachel, um, at college and then got to come here and get to know your previous pastor, Martin, love the Martins uh, so deeply. He uh, preached the sermon in our wedding. Uh, so I have a history with your church and with your previous pastor, and it's such a privilege to get to come and open God's word uh, in the visit here. Thank you for, for inviting me. I wonder if you've ever sensed the crushing disappointment of wanting to be more than you are, of knowing there are certain expectations that either the Lord or other people uh, anticipate uh, are asking of you, and you desire to be that, you want to be something more than you actually are. Have you felt the dilemma that this, this passage is going to set in front of us, uh, that you need the presence, you need the glory of God, but in the presence of God, you see your own weakness and your own failing. You know that you are not enough. The Bible tells us in a psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an invitation in the Bible to come and to see the glory of God. But you and me and all of us know as soon as we come into that light and the glory of God, that there's something just outside of our reach, that we in of ourselves are not who we should be. Don't you want one day to have nothing to hide, to be completely exposed in the presence of God, to see his glory, and not to shrink back in any way, to be completely acceptable and beautiful in God's presence? Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote one of uh, what I find to be the most moving um, sermons uh, called The Weight of Glory. And he talks about all of our lives being a pursuit to enter into a presence. And he's talking about entering into the presence of God. Our whole life, he compares to knocking on the door that one day will open up to us. And this is what he says about this. The sense that in the universe we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality. And then he says, glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. See, on some level, all of us want entrance into glory. We want to see the face of God. We want to know the glory of God. But we know that there's something wrong with us that makes it so that you cannot go directly into God's glory and see him 
face to face. We need a transformation. We need something to cover us and to make us presentable. And that is precisely what this text in the Old Testament anticipates. And we'll look at some passages in the book of John that I listed in your uh, order of service. Well, I want us to see this passage under three headings. We'll see first the privilege of God's presence. And then second, we'll see the danger of God's presence. And then third, how we're covered and invited into the awesome presence of God. I'll say those again if you're taking notes. The privilege of God's presence, the danger in God's presence, and then how we are covered and invited into the awesome presence of God. Well, let me set the context a little bit of this uh, passage because we're stepping into the middle of a story. You remember that God has powerfully rescued his people out of Egypt. Uh, He's come into a competition, you remember, with Pharaoh, and he has overcome Pharaoh through ten plagues, and he's shown Pharaoh his glory. That was the point of bringing his people out of Israel, out of Egypt. It was to demonstrate that the Lord is Lord over his people, and he brings them through the Red Sea, and you remember that his presence is represented as they come out of Egypt, his presence is represented in a way that we sang about. Uh, there was a cloud during the daytime that marked God's presence with his people. And then in the night times, there was a, a pillar of fire. Uh, one of the most remarkable things, I remember as a kid reading this story and thinking, what a beautiful, remarkable thing that God went with his people in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pal- pillar of fire in the evenings. And God uh, now comes to a mountain and he uh, is going to uh, formalize his relationship with his people. You should imagine uh, God wooing uh, his people almost like a man would would care for a woman and bring her out of a certain place and say, I'm going to marry you. I'm going to treat you uh, carefully and gently and lovingly. He brings them to a mountain and uh, he gives the Ten Commandments to them. And we may think of those as just kind of rules for our life, uh, but they were a very intimate um, and loving way that the Lord treated his people, saying, you're my people now. I want you to live, because of what I've done for you, I want you to live in this special relationship with me. And we see from this passage, as we get into chapter 33, that the people understand the privilege of God's presence. They understand how special it is that God is with his people. So notice then how the Lord sets this up in verse 33. The Lord said to Moses, Go, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I'll drive you out of the Canaanites, drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring you into the land and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to clear out your enemies so you don't have to be afraid when you come into this land. I'm going to feed you in the land, right? There's going to be, it'll be a land, according to verse 3, that flows with milk and with honey. And this sounds all like a spectacular offering if you're God's people. Protection, driving out enemies, all the, the drink and the food that you could desire. There's just one problem, according to verse 3. I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Um, It's very evident 
to God's people based on their response, how much they understood the privilege of having God's presence go with them. Uh, Phil Riken, in his commentary on the book of Exodus, talks about how often we desire this offer from God. God, give me your protection, uh, provide for me, do everything that I ask for you. And maybe less do we desire his, his presence. Maybe less uh, do we do strive to be uh, privileged with God's presence. We want, in some sense, the gifts of God without the meddling presence of God. But the people actually respond exactly right to the announcement that comes to them through Moses. They mourn. They grieve. They're terrified that God's presence would not go with them. And they demonstrate this mourning, this uh, appreciation for God's presence by stripping off their jewelry. And you may be scratching your head, uh, what is the connection between the jewelry and the mourning? Why, why is that such a big deal that they take off their earrings and the, uh, the gold that they had with them? The reason it's such a big deal is God had sent them out of Egypt with jewelry on. Um, the, uh, the captives of God's people had told them, uh, leave with this special gift as you leave uh, Egypt. And you remember that in chapter 32, they've taken the very things that God has given them to privilege them as his people. They've taken these gold ornaments and they've gathered them together and they've melted them down. And you remember, they say to Aaron, we don't know where Moses has gone while the law is being given. So make a God for us, they say to Aaron. Make a God for us that will go up with us. See, they want to control the presence of God. They want to make a God according to their own liking. And in one of the most grievous, horrible events, on the very evening of being brought into a covenant with God as their husband, as their maker, this young bride at the very foot of Mount Sinai commits adultery. They lay their hearts before this false God. They break the second commandment and they make an image. And so we, we, we see the seriousness of that act by the fact that they strip off their ornaments. The Lord said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And then verse 6, Therefore the people also of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. They perceived the seriousness of what they had done in the previous chapter. And they realized, if God doesn't go with us, we will be devastated to be alone. And that, that's verses 1 to 6. And then the camera, in some sense, having shown you what the reaction of all God's people, the sort of wide-angle lens that's been um, focusing on all of Israel, the, the camera now uh, pans in. It focuses way down to just one leader, Moses, and his God. The rest of the text is going to be Moses speaking to God in verses 12 23. I'll say just briefly that in verses 7 to 11, there's a somewhat strange description of how Moses would go out into a, a special tent where he could speak to God. And he has this really, really beautiful, intimate relationship. Literally, the text says that Moses spoke to God as he spoke to a friend, speaking mouth to mouth, as the way that um, the Old Testament talks about it. Um, if you have had a very, very special friend that you've known for a long time that you can unburden your heart to them 
and you can speak without being guarded or scared in some sense. This is the way that it says Moses spoke with the Lord face to face or literally mouth to mouth. But it's interesting, um, if I were Moses in this situation and God has said he's not going to go with his people, maybe I would be tempted to say, Lord, let's just do this on our own. We're going to go now on the way to the promised land and you and I will, will go out. But notice that this is not what Moses does. Moses pleads for his people. Moses says, if you're not going to go with me and with us, the people, I don't want to go, go on into the promised land. Moses said, verse 12, you say, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. He may be referring to the angel the Lord had said previously. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Verse 13, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. His first request, there's three requests we're going to see in these verses. His first request is to see the way that God works. The works of God demonstrate who God is. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor. Moses is basically saying, everything you've revealed to me about yourself, you've talked, you've said things about me, about yourself in the past, now act in line, O Lord. Please act in line with your character. Act in the way that you say you are. And the Lord answers, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But then Moses makes a second request. Show us your ways, but also if your presence won't go with me, don't bring us up. And notice what he says about why the presence of God is so unique. Verse 16, how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You remember in the book of Deuteronomy that God, reminding his people to be humbled in the midst of all the nations around them, said, when you go and you get into the land, don't think about yourself as being better or or." having some privilege in terms of how you are better than other nations. Verse, uh, Deuteronomy 7 says, It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, Moses is saying there's nothing that makes us special. There's nothing that makes us unique if you don't go with us. If your presence doesn't set us apart and make us holy, your presence is the one thing that makes us a treasured, a special, a unique people. Don't send us away without your presence. And in some sense, Moses could have stopped here. He could have said, this is what I'm pleading for. Show us your ways. Send us with your presence. And God has said already, I'm going to go with you. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. But notice where Moses ends. He wants the deepest, most intimate communion with the Lord. Moses finishes his third request of the Lord. Verse 18, Moses said, Please show me your glory. Please, Lord, 
show me your glory. See, it's not enough for Moses to simply know about the Lord or know the ways of the Lord or to have some uh, defining presence. Those are are good things to ask for. He wants to be in the very presence. He wants to see the very glory of God. And I'll pause here and just say, as a Christian, if you are trusting in Christ, if you're putting your hope and your confidence in Jesus, this is what you were made for. You were made to have intimate communion with God. Uh, Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God to to have this intimate communion in the presence of God. And our sin always sets us at odds and sets us out of God's presence. But Moses is begging to see the very presence of God. But even this, this dear, dear friend of God, Moses, you notice, cannot look at God and live. God responds, verse 21, Behold, there's a place by me where you will stand on the rock while my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. How could Moses, the great friend of God, the one who who lived in the presence and could speak to God face to face, intimately, how could he not Behold the glory of God. What was there? Why, why did Moses have to be protected? Why did he have to be covered? Why could he not look on the face of God and live? And so I want us to see second then the danger of God's presence. If we see the privilege of God's presence, God's people mourning the fact that the, that the Lord has said he's not going to go with him. If Moses has pled both for the presence and the glory of God to be shown, What is the danger of God's presence? Well, let's look back at verse 5 briefly. Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. Uh, Sometimes we don't remember that God is an awesome and terrifying God. That God is not someone that we can control and make do what we want Him to do. And that in his presence, if we are sinners in the presence of an awesome God, that this is very, very dangerous for us. Um, I moved to Michigan and had to figure out how to um, warm our home, um, which I never really thought a whole lot about uh, before. And uh, we had this little built-in fireplace, which I got to play around with and, and learn a little bit about. But there was one very, very early morning where I took a piece of wood, which is about maybe six feet long, and for some reason thought, well, I'll kind of shorten the wood by burning it down a little bit. And I had this nice hot fire going. It's like five in the morning. I put it in the fireplace, and suddenly it just bursts into flames. And there's pluming smoke shooting out of the top of this little fireplace. And the, again, five in the morning, the, the fire alarm is starting to go off with the smoke. And I, for a moment, I thought to myself, this may be the end. Um, I, I may burn this house down, and, uh, and I and all my family will be consumed. And I had this tiny, tiny glimpse of the fact that I was not in control, right, of the fireplace. I could not do to it what I wanted to. And this is exactly the awesome sense of living before the presence of a God that we can't control. See, the fire was controlling the situation, and I was just a guest in its presence that morning. Um, I recommend a book, a children's book to you called The Wind in the Willows. 
And there's a beautiful description. It's a, it's sort of an adventure tale of these two animals that are learning about uh, God as they, they uh, go and explore different um, aspects of the world. But in a, a wonderful moment, um, the mole and the rat who are on this uh, privileged adventure together suddenly come into the presence of God. And this is what Kenneth Graham describes it as. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but hopefully uh, I can keep... Uh, our attention here. Then suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy, but it was an awe that smote and held him without seeing he knew it could only mean that some presence was very, very near. With difficulty, he turned to look for his friend and saw him at his side, cowed and stricken and trembling violently. And still there was an utter silence in the bird-haunted branches around them. And still the light grew and grew. And the mole is trying to make sense of what's happening to him here in this awesome presence. All this he saw for one moment, breathless and intense, vivid on the morning sky. And still as he looked, he lived. And still as he lived, he wondered. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, O oh mole, I am afraid. Then the two animals crouched to the earth, bowed their heads, and did worship. And I just want to ask you this morning, have you perceived the glory of God in this way, in a way that shook you, that terrified you, where you realized, because of what I am, because of the fact that I am like Israel of old, I am stiff and my heart by nature is not desiring to glorify God? Have you felt yourself invaded with the presence of God? See, we sang that old scripture song, our God is an awesome God, he reigns. And awesome did not mean something that's just exciting and nice. Awesome meant awful and terrifying and glorious. Have you felt yourself in the awful and awesome presence of God, knowing that you can't control him, knowing that you can't direct him. Uh, I come to testify to you as a pastor uh, after, I think I've been pastoring for five years, that you will discover over and over again your own sinfulness, your own inability to change and transform yourself from the inside out. You will come up against your own stiff nakedness, your own sinfulness. And I come to tell you about your own sin, not because I'm any different than you, not because I am above you or better than you, but because I too, as Paul will tell the Romans, all of us have sinned and therefore fall short of the glory of God. God is so perfect. God is so glorious and beautiful. He determines what holiness is. His laws are a reflection of his perfect character. See, the dilemma in this passage is that the people of God need the glory of God. But if God's glory breaks out, as he says in verse 5, a single moment, if I should go up among you, I would consume you. So I want to ask you as we close then, how are we covered from the danger and invited into the glorious presence of God. How does God cover us and how does he invite us 
into the danger. See, your nature hasn't changed since uh, Israel of old. Your heart has not drastically changed in comparison to the sins of Israel. You may read the stories of the Old Testament and think, I am somehow better or different than them, but you aren't. You are, like them, a sinful people, and you need the glory of God. So how does God move in and live with his people? How can God make this relationship permanent and not destroy them and not consume them? How will God live in the midst of his people and love them and as a holy fire not consume them utterly? Well, we were not able to climb the ladder up into God's presence. We weren't able to make ourselves acceptable and get up into the glory of heaven. And so heaven came down. Heaven had to uh, dwell with us and we had to see his glory. And so John 1 tells us that the word became flesh and lived, tabernacled amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the one from the Father, full of grace and of truth. And if you crave like Moses to see the glory of God, this is where you look. You look at the one who took on flesh, who came to live in the midst of his people. The incarnate Son of God was the very glory of God in the flesh. And then this son of his father took three disciples up on a mountain, you remember. And Moses and Elijah are on the mountain. And Jesus' clothing starts to glow. It starts to be massively white, whiter than any person who washed clothing could bleach. And you remember the disciples are unsettled and they are trying to figure out, are we staying here tonight? Are we going to build coverings for Moses and Elijah? And it says about the passage, they were just so utterly overwhelmed with Jesus and his glory that they didn't know what to do. They were afraid. And so when Philip comes in John 14 and says to Jesus, it's fine that you're leaving. Uh, Show us the Father, though, and it will be enough. See, this is very similar to Moses' request to see, Lord, please show me your glory. Show us the Father, and it will be enough. And Jesus is disappointed. And he says to Philip, "Have have you known me so long, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. See, to gaze on this person, uh, to gaze on Jesus of Nazareth, was to see into the very glory of God in the flesh. And you still have to ask yourself, well, how could the disciples look into the glory of God and not be consumed? John 17 says, I desire they that they be with me. This is a language of presence. I desire they be with me and see my glory because you love me before the foundation of the world. How do you have access? How are you made acceptable? How is the door that you've been knocking on all of your life? Like C.S. Lewis says, how is that open to you such that you look on the very face of God and will not be destroyed and consumed? Jesus says that some of the Greeks desire to see him. And John 12 says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
And you may ask yourself, well, then certainly there was some moment coming where Jesus would even outshine the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ would show the face of the Father in some spectacular way. And he was going to do that. And the way that he would show himself was not through resplendent clothing where people would be impressed with the brilliance of bright light. But instead, Jesus would be betrayed. Jesus would be falsely condemned. Jesus would be taken to a cross. And the, the Gospel of John, the, the author of, of John, the, the Apostle, wants to tell you this morning, if you want to know the glory of God, if you want to see uh, the, the very glory of God set on display... You don't go to the Mount of Transfiguration. You look on a cross. You look at the perfect Son of God, who in His nature could have shown you radiant glory, but instead was stripped Himself. Not stripped of jewelry like the people waiting the judgment of God, but stripped naked and nailed to a cross, having to bear what we Deserve. See, the only way that you're safe to enter into the presence of God is if God himself would come down and humble himself and be crucified and be crying out for your sake, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the very glory of God in the flesh was forsaken of his Father so that you could have exactly what Moses asked for. Lord, please, show me your glory. And the desire of your heart to finally be acceptable, to finally be welcomed and received into the very glorious presence of God will one day happen. Uh, John will say in his letters, what we will be has not yet been revealed, but when we see him, then we will be like him. And the way that you will be welcomed into God's presence and received and glorified the reason that you are given and granted access into God's glory, the door is open to you because the door was shut on Jesus and he was forsaken and abandoned and faced all of what our sins deserved. Our stiff nakedness is dealt with on a cross. And the Father says now to us, this, these are my beloved children in whom I am well pleased. You are welcomed into the very heart of the maker of heaven and earth because Jesus faced what you deserved. And God will only treat you with eternal glory in his presence. He will only delight over you. He will only sing over you. And you will have the majesty of enjoying God's presence forever. You will enjoy the weight of glory because Christ has given himself for us. And the door, that, again, that we've been knocking at all our lives will one day open and we will be in the very presence of God. May that vision, the vision of God given for us on a cross, transform us. May it change us and may it make us what we are not yet. And may we look forward to our eternal joy of being in the presence of God forever and delight in that. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, you will rejoice over us with singing. You will cover us with your love. Lord, you privilege us at a table even, we who are um, 
stiff-necked in our opposition to you, you seat us down and you privilege us and say, I will feed you with broken bread, pointing to the broken body of Jesus. And I will give you to drink on the wine, Lord, pointing to the blood which was the life of our Savior shed for us. Lord, substitution, the holy substitution of the glorious God of heaven and earth who took on flesh for us. This is our whole hope, Lord, and we look forward to be, glor- uh, be glorified, to look on your face and to live eternally. And Lord, please make this what we want more than anything else. Please uh, turn our hearts away from things that distract us, uh, things that would uh, rob us of eternal joy. Lord, please pull us into your presence with your love shown to us at a cross and remind us how much we need you, Father. We pray this uh, in the power of your spirit. Amen.